Welcome to the SDLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm your host, Dave Quedal. Welcome to Episode 8, the first of the playoffs as we hit Week 10. I'm thrilled to be joined this week by Lutheran North football coach Carl Reed, whose Crusaders earned a top seed in their Class 3 district and have a bye. We talked about what it was like playing the few games the Crusaders got to play and how you try to survive each week when there's always the threat of a COVID cancellation hanging over you. As of this taping, at least 15 teams in Missouri were unable to partake in the postseason due to COVID forfeits and or withdrawal from the tournament. Steve Overby dropped by to talk about the Webster Grove softball team winning its first state championship, and we go deep on the volleyball playoffs as sectionals and quarterfinals get underway on Saturday. Paul Kopsky will bring us all the Week 10 scores and highlight performances, and we'll get the inside scoop from our intrepid reporters who are out covering ballgames. Among the games we're going to talk about are Eureka Lindbergh, Jefferson and St. Pius, as well as Holt and Fort Zumwalt West. All that and more is coming up on the show, but first, here's Lutheran North football coach Carl Reed. I'm now joined by Lutheran North football coach Carl Reed, who was nice enough to make his second appearance here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. Coach Reed, thanks so much for giving us your time tonight. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. So this is Friday nights. Are are, you're supposed to be busy working, and uh, your guys were fortunate enough to secure a bye in your district tournament, so you have the evening off. What does this Friday night look for you? Are you scouting? Are you enjoying time with the fam? What are you doing? Well, we getting we got practice tomorrow, so you know we really just kind of checking in on the score of the Wright City Orchard Farm game. Uh, Going to be getting ready to break down the film. Uh, whoever wins that, last I looked, uh, Wright City was up fourteen to nothing. And so just getting prepared for the winter go home seat. So you you had a couple more Friday nights off than you would have liked as St. Louis County was very deliberate, shall we say, in opening up uh, high school football here in St. Louis County. So what was it like when your guys finally got to go play? You played Parkway West out at Francis Howell. Uh, I think it was week seven, six, week six of the regular season. When yeah, we, we started, when we got to play, yeah, we started playing week six. So what was that like when your guys finally got the chance to go go play, man? Well, it was um, <clears throat> for them, I mean, going from not thinking you would play at all potentially to in the car to, on, a, on a Friday that you're going to play Saturday. Um, it was a scramble, but we were happy to just get the opportunity to be able to play. Because – your schedule is, is predominantly teams that are from outside the area. Uh, you've been very vocal about that, that your guys don't get the opportunity to play a lot of teams. People shy away from you. What's your theory for that, man, that, that the schedule is always tough to put together? Well, you know, one thing that uh, when I was, I, I'd say a few years ago, it used to really bother me, and I used to, to get upset about it, but it it just is what it is now. We know that we're going to have to play tough teams um, from outside of the state, and our kids look forward to those opportunities. And uh, it's actually helped our program grow tremendously. Um, It's helped our brand get a little bigger, um, playing some of those out-of-state teams. And so, you know, we look forward to it. You would hope that you can play some of the top teams in the area just for the 
the local matchups and you know the kids, but that's not the way it is. So, you know, you, you move on and, and you work on what you got to do. So you were able to do that a little bit uh, after you opened with Parkway West. You followed that up with a road game to Trinity, a regional rival. You, the two schools have played some very memorable games the last couple of years. More often than not, they have gone the Crusaders' way. And then you guys played a, a really talented St. Mary's team at home in Week 8. Off Week 9, couldn't fill that spot. But what was it like for your guys to play two quality opponents in Trinity and St. Mary's? Well, you know, um, the Trinity rivalry has always been, um, well, I won't say always, but the last couple of years has been a big deal here locally. And um, <clears throat> always have a formidable team, good ball club. And, I, and I'm going to tell you what, going into the playoffs, you know, Trinity is 0-3, but if I was in Class 4, if I was in that district, I wouldn't be taking Trinity lightly. Um, I w- it would not surprise me at all if Trinity won that district and was in the quarterfinals. You know, they still have a lot of pieces. Um, they have some good linemen. And uh, they lost to three pretty good teams. And so um, it would not surprise me at all. I, I wouldn't sleep on Trinity if I was going to have to play them in, in that Class 4 district they're in. So um, you, you mentioned they're 0-3. You, they, they played your guys in a tough one and then followed it up with a 9-7 to slugfest, the Chaminade, and then St. Mary's had to rally in the fourth quarter to escape with a, with a pretty good win in one of the best games of the regular season. So the Titans do enter the playoffs, like you said, uh, winless, but they've got a 4-5 district game this weekend. Winner of that plays at top seed MICDS. Who, who looked pretty sharp in the couple of games they played. I don't know that they played a team of that caliber, but that would be a hell of a ball game. Well, you'll be talking about, obviously, MICDS is another traditionally strong program. Uh, they have a Hall of Fame coach there now, Fred Bouchard, who is, um, who's got them trending in the right direction. It'll be strength against strength. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a very exciting ball game if we get to see that in the second round. You know, one thing that, like I always tell my kids, you, you don't want to look ahead at a second round matchup and, and catch yourself, you know, slipping in the first round. And it has happened a, a couple years ago. Uh, Riverview uh, was an eight seed and they beat uh, a, a one seed like you. You never want to just you never want to overlook anybody, you know, so you can you can kind of project in your mind what you think will happen down the road. But you want to make sure that you you are giving your opponents the proper respect. And people that think it's crazy, but like we won't overlook whoever we got to play next week. You know, they always get our full attention. Well, I'd imagine your guys are very well aware of that because you your team played a very memorable district final um, against Lift for Life. I mean, the big yeah. game in the preseason everyone was talking about was was the Crusaders and Cardinal Ritter were in the same district, and oh my God, that's going to be crazy. Cardinal Ritter situation happened. They didn't get into the playoffs. And then Lift for Life shows up, and it, that was a 6 nothing, 6 nothing ball game for most of that night, was it not? Well, Lift for Life, well, no, it was, it was 0-0 most of the night. We scored um, at the very end, mm-hmm. and, and Live for Life, that team, you know, they returned 20 starters from the team that we had played the year before and beaten the district championship. So when you return the kind of senior leadership that they did, they were very motivated to come in there and try to beat us. 
And I think that kids have to understand, even though you can be traditionally good, there's some team out there that's gunning for you, right? You can kill every bear in the forest and the fight will never really be over. You know, like you have to, you have to be ready to keep coming in, in any week. If you let your guard down, you can find yourself in a situation um, that's not advantageous for you. So you, you you play a really good St. Mary's team, and, and you came out of that very impressed with with one of their players, young Kevin Coleman, a very highly rated wide receiver prospect in, in the country. What did you see out of him uh, in your evaluation? Well, I mean, I've, I've always known that Kevin Coleman was an elite player. I mean, there were no surprises there. Um, we just um, – you got to try to, to – it's no different than when you play like – Mookie Cooper or Marcus Washington or one of those kind of guys, you know, anytime you have an elite guy um, of that caliber, you got to locate them, you got to know where they at, and you got to try to give yourself an opportunity um, to play 11 on one, right? So when you play a guy like Kevin Coleman, you don't want to play him one on one, you want to play him 11 on one because he's that dangerous. And so you have to show him the respect that a player like him deserves. And um, St. Mary's has a good ball club also. And, um, you know, you never know who you may see down the line again. So you go from scrambling to play West, line up with Trinity and St. Mary's, and then open week nine. What was it like having that week off? I mean, we've been open before. So we we have a, a real regular routine we have. We have an open week. Our guys got to, you know, get focused. Um if anybody who was banged up got to get some treatment and get ready for the playoffs. I mean, we, if you would have told me in June, you're going to get to play three games. I would have took it because in June, I didn't think we would have a football season. Hmm. Right. So the fact that we've gotten to play three games and that we're getting an opportunity to go into the playoffs, that was enough for me um, to not really worry about the negative of, not having a week nine game. So you're off week nine and week 10 because of the bye. So like you said, you'll be preparing for, for the winner of the other district game. Uh, and that's if games get to be played tonight at, at about three, three-ish Friday afternoon, I should say. Kirkwood became the latest team to have to forfeit its postseason due to coronavirus, COVID-19 uh, reasons, joining Webster Groves, Principia, and Lutheran South as four local teams that that have put their postseason to bed. And every day it seemed this week a new team or more teams had had announced that this was how it was going to go. Out in Kansas City, the two big names are Rockhurst and Lee Summit West bowing out. What's that like having that hanging over your program every day, man? Just just knowing if if one one positive test, one thing comes back, you're going to have to shut it down. Well, you can't control it, right? So you can't let it hang over your head because you have absolutely no control over the situation. What you you want to tell your kids and your parents, um, if you can, stay in your house and stay away from people and wear your mask. You know, um, do you want to make sure you're doing everything to to prevent the spread? I mean, that's the best that you can do. If you get a positive test, your season is over. So if you really want to play, um, you'll try your best to do what it takes. Sometimes those things also happen that are beyond the scope of your control. 
What if your mom works at a hospital? She's an essential worker. Your, your, your mom or your dad is a school teacher. They're around other kids. Like there's a lot of scenarios where you could get exposed to it just that are beyond the realm of your control. So at this point, the only thing you can do is go into each week and prepare to play. And um, if you get a positive test, then you already know what the end result is. You just want to make sure if that happens, it doesn't happen because you were being very careless. Well, you had mentioned the last time you were here, a lot of kids, especially in these, you know, in the economic situation we're in, are taking jobs to help support their family. Another place where, you know, you weren't exposed to other people. I mean, yeah. you just never know with this stuff nowadays. You know, you have no, um, <clears throat> like I said, you have no control over it, right? So the thing that you don't have control over, you just want to, you want to keep a positive outlook on it and uh, get everybody prepared, and, and you never know what's going to happen. So I know you're not a politics guy, but you've become one. You've been very involved in, in talking with, with uh, people in the city and the county, trying to have a dialogue about getting high school sports played this fall. What's it been like becoming part of, at least on the periphery, the political process and, and, and making your voice heard in some ways? Well, you just want to get an understanding. You know, o- over the years... Um, dealing with politics and things like that. As my kids um, and my players have gotten older and older and they have different issues and and, and different things, you really want to have a clear understanding of what everybody's policies are and and, and what they stand for and how it's going to affect you, how it's going to affect your kids, how it's going to affect your community. And, you know, regardless of, of whether you go Democrat or Republican or whatever you may choose to do, you want to make sure that you're educated on the process and that you're looking at the things that are going to be best for you and your people. And uh, plans to vote, was that stuff that you guys talked about with the team? I know that the social conscious has been a big deal and, and registering well, kids and something like that. What is that like for the Crusaders, man? Well, we don't have any 18-year-olds, um, so and at the high school level, it's not a huge thing. Um, you obviously talking so you can educate them for things down the line. You, we're more um, dealing with our guys that are in college. Uh, we have 40 kids playing college football right now. So you're more or less trying to talk and educate them because they're at that point uh, where they can use their vote to make a difference. So you obviously talked to a lot of those guys. One of your guys, Jack Buford, signed with the Tigers down at Mizzou. But he was a guy who, who made the decision to opt out and, and not participate due to COVID uh, concerns. Uh, what was it like kind of helping him make that or, or help advising him as he had to make that tough decision? Because I'm sure he's someone he, you were someone he would reach out to. Well, you know, Jack opted back in. I did not. So, yeah, so he opted out. And then uh, I'd say two or three, two or three days later, he opted back in. Um, and, you know, not just with Jack, but with all of them. I think that uh, I probably had a conversation with most of them about this and the process that entails. And I think that a lot of kids across the country that chose to opt out, they're not really um, they weren't really educated on what that really means. Mm-hmm. Right. And what that entails and and what they lose, you know, in terms of that opt out, the resources they they lose, uh, the things that they don't have access to. So like every decision, just like when they're picking colleges, you're not I'm not making a decision for them. 
I'm just trying to make sure that they're educated and they know and understand what it is they're choosing when they make the choices that they're making. So, and what are some of the things that do come with the opt out? I mean, are there are they unavailable to the the, the facilities? The the yeah, um, they have they have like? no they have no facility access. They have um, so that's weight room. That's a, that's training trainers. room trainers. The only thing they have access to is the academic center. So basically, you don't have any of the amenities that a high-level college athlete gets when you opt out. You are living the life of a normal student um, without all of the benefits that comes from being a player at a school like that. Well, we saw Trevor Lawrence was the latest to pop a positive the other day. And so, I mean, and I'm pretty sure Clemson tried to put him in as big a bubble as possible. So you just never know with this stuff, man. Crazy times. Yeah, you never know. I mean, it, you just have no, you have no control over it whatsoever. So it's uh, if you're protecting anybody, you're protecting Trevor Lawrence. You know, so sure. if he can get it, then obviously it could happen to anybody. So, Coach Carl Reed of Lutheran North, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We appreciate it. All right, Dave. Thank you. Thanks again to Lutheran North football coach Carl Reed for taking some time on Friday night to join the show. You can check out his podcast with New New Washington, Run Up the Score, wherever you get your podcasts. Steve Overby is up next, but right now I'd like to tell you about all the great content waiting for you at stlhighschoolsports.com. Our staff was all over volleyball district tournaments this week, which Steve will be here to talk about in a moment. Our man Ben Vesa was keeping his eyes on field hockey, which will play its championship game on Saturday. On Friday, Paul Halfacre was out watching cross-country districts and caught a stellar performance from John Burroughs' senior standout runner, Kylie Goldfarb. Every Wednesday, you can read our football notebook, and every Friday, we give you games to watch and a spotlight story to follow. But we're more than just games at SDLHighSchoolSports.com. I was fortunate enough to profile Highland Boys basketball coach Daryl Cunningham this week after his terrifying experience with COVID-19. His story will run soon, but I wanted to give you a taste of what to look for. On the seventh day, Sharice Walker allowed herself to cry. Tears of relief, tears born of fear, tears of pure joy. They poured out of her in the hotel room moments after she hung up with the hospital. The emotional wave of the last week washed over her. There was no time to process this. I wanted my brother to be alive, Walker said. That was the time I knew he was out of the fire. It almost seemed like he wasn't going to make it. Had she not raced from Chicago to Glen Carbon when she did... Daryl Cunningham would not have made it. He would have been one of the nearly 10,000 people in Illinois that have already died from COVID-19. Cunningham, 49, remains among us in large part because his sister wouldn't let him go. For the rest of that story and gobs of great content, keep your eyes peeled on stlhighschoolsports.com and as always, check out your St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Up next, Steve Overby. I'm now joined by Steve Overby, who covers a variety of athletic endeavors for us at stlhighschoolsports.com. Steve, what's on the agenda tonight? Well, first we're going to talk about Webster softball. They won the state championship earlier today with a 5-4 extra inning win over Webb City. First title ever for Webster Groves and their first trip to the Final Four. So hats off to the Statesman. A nice 16-2 season completed with a uh, dramatic victory, very dramatic. They scored two in the top of the eighth. Webb City came back with one in the bottom of the eighth and had two on, two out with their big hitter up. And Webster pitcher Matty Buskey got the got her to pop out to end the game and give them a 5-4 win and a state title. 
And Webster had the lead going into the seventh inning, yes? Webb City had to rally just to get it to extras? Yes, uh, they uh, they scored two, actually, in the bottom of the seventh. Barb Batson hit the home run to send it into extras, and she got up with two on and two out in the eighth. And uh, home run was uh, certainly on her mind, but uh, Maddie got her to pop out. So uh, a gutsy comeback effort after giving up a two-run homer to the same girl, getting her out the next inning with the uh, championship on the line. Remarkable. Now, there were some adjustments to the schedule for COVID reasons at the state championships, but then the recent wet weather threw another wrinkle into the plans. How did that shake out? Well, they just had to redo. Thursday's games were canceled, so they redid today's games, got them all in. Uh, They just moved the start time for Webster up to 10 a.m., and the the weather was fine down there. They got it in in a couple hours, and they are on schedule. Sullivan is playing for the state title against Savannah a little later on tonight. So, and those are our two local teams playing. Anybody else? Nope, that's the two locals. And uh, like I said, hats off to Webster. Gutsy effort. They uh, led by catcher Hannah Jansen, who is going to Florida International. She drove in two runs with a double in the third, added another RBI in the sixth, uh, finished the season with a 6.10 batting average, and uh, she's certainly a candidate for player of the year. So softball is wrapping up, obviously, but volleyball is just starting to hit the meat of the postseason. What does that look like? Tomorrow's a big day. Tomorrow's are both two sectional matches and a quarterfinal. So we'll know the final four by late tomorrow night. And it's always a big game. You have two sectionals. The winners take some time off and then meet again in the quarterfinals, all in the same location, all at the same time. So it should be interesting. We've got teams in every class. So uh, this area could be well represented. In, in 5A, Borgia is now the team to beat. They, uh, they'll be playing Jackson in the first sectional. And Corey Zoo and Oakville meet in the other sectional. The winners will meet for the berth to state final after that. Corey Zoo's unbeaten at 12-0, kind of flying under the radar. Don't have a lot of size, but they, they hustle and they work hard. And uh, they, uh, they, could, uh, they could beat Oakville and then give Borgia a run for the money. Borgia coming off uh, two state championships. They won 11 overall, won the Class Three title last year in 2018. They are loaded again. Ella Brinkman, their big hitter, she's got 447 kills. She's a monster, and uh, she has some D1 offers that uh, she'll have to consider. She's just a junior. And Annie Arand is their setter. She has more than 840 assists. She runs their offense perfectly. So Borgia is probably one of the favorites in Class 5. Keep an eye on St. Dominic. They are playing in a sectional at Howell. They play Rockbridge first, then the winner of the Marquette-Francis Howell game. Dominic is 19-3, and and they have beaten Borgia twice, which a lot of people find surprising. That was earlier in the year, but still two impressive wins. So Dominic and Borgia are on a path where they would meet in the final next weekend. So if they get out of sectional and quarterfinal play, that would be your 5A final. Both both teams bumped up. St. Dominic was in Class 3 last year. They moved up to 5 due to the success multiplier. And Borgia also moved up. So Borgia, which has maybe, what, 400 students, is in the highest class. Due to the uh, due to their success, I guess the uh, success class. factor that they use this year to to adjust enrollments. Yeah, that uh, that bumped two teams. St. Pius, uh, traditional class two power, got beat in class four. So yeah, we've got uh, three good area teams who were moved up twice. Tomorrow in class four, we've got a couple uh, sectionals in the area. Uh, Nerex Hall and Hillsboro will be down at Summit. They will face the winner of the Farmington Summit match. That could be interesting. Summit only five and nine, but they got through, so they caught caught fire at the right time, and uh, they're moving on. So that might be your Cinderella right there. Parkway West is going to be playing in Hannibal, and uh, Lutheran St. Charles is also playing in that uh, sectional against Camden. And so Lutheran St. Charles twelve and six under a 
Another Maddie Reynolds, a strong hitter. They could deserve some watching in class, uh, class four. Class three, we've got Visitation still alive. And we also have Herman and John Burroughs. Herman's a traditional power. They've uh, won 14 state titles more than anyone else. So they're, uh, they're worth watching. They're uh, a 2A power moving up to three. They'll be playing Winfield up in Kirksville. And John Burroughs plays Kirksville in the other sectional. Class two uh, area team to watch would be O'Fallon Christian. Not a particularly good record, four and seven, but they have played class three, class four, and class five schools all year long. So they're toughened up, and uh, they can make a run in class two. So all this uh, all this confusion will be taken care of after two rounds tomorrow. It's the uh, biggest day of the year in volleyball, and it should be interesting. Back to Borgia, they survived a hell of a ball game with uh, Lafayette just to get out of their district. Yeah, a five-setter, and uh, Borgia won the first two, appeared to be cruising. Lancers bounced back and won sets three and four, and uh, they battled to an 18-16 final in uh, set five. Many people think that might have been the state championship. I wouldn't count Dominic out, but uh, those are two tradition-rich programs that happen to be just in the same geographic district. So, I mean, do, is there any concern you would think on Borgia's part of, of, of such a, a tough district that they would be worn out having to turn around and play two matches again just two days later? I mean, it, that's a good point, Dave. And I think uh, they should be able to handle Jackson. Jackson is 30 and one, but has not played the competition. Corey Zoo and Oakville and the other sectional could be interesting. A 12 and 0 team against a 12 and one team. And both are flying under the radar. We didn't say much about Oakville, but uh, they dispatched to Melville in three sets and they're uh district final last night and Melville beat them in the regular season, handed them their only loss. So Oakville's also cruising. It could be interesting. You're, you're right. They, uh, a letdown could be in the works. Coach CJ Steiger will have to get his girls to, uh, to avoid that and to be sharp tomorrow. Well, it's just, it's just really hard. I'd imagine to play a two hour draining match against, you know, a, a state championship level opponent to just get into the big bracket. I, that, I'd imagine that's tough, but if those girls are, are on point, it sounds like they've got the, the talent and ability to make it happen. So, um, what Tomorrow is could look- be interesting, yeah. We've got, you know, for the first time, it's best of five sets, which makes this a grueling Saturday. I mean, you go five sets in a, in a 130 match and get to sit down for an hour and so and go back again, that, that's going to be hard on these kids. When it was best of three, it was still taxing, but uh, these, if these sectional first-rounders go five sets, you're going to have some gassed kids at the end. And, and what does the postseason are these uh, semifinals and championship look like? Has there been any clarification as as to how that will go? Because in pre-Corona times, the Final Four would everybody be down at Semo and Cape Girardeau and, and knocking the ball around. It, has there been any clarification as to how that might change? Nope. I think it's going to be exactly the same. All uh, five classes, four teams are going to meet in Cape Girardeau Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, for the first time this year, there's no pool play, so it'll be straight semifinals, which is kind of good. Just like in every other sport. So there will be some interesting matches Thursday and Friday to, to set up for the finals. So a uh, different format, but same, uh, same pre-corona way of doing it. Interesting. Well, thank you, Steve. What's on your agenda for next week? Are, are you prepping volleyball, football? What's it look like? Yeah, a little bit of both. We'll be prepping volleyball with some stories on the teams that have made, uh, made the final four, a couple features there and boys soccer starts to wind up. That'll be interesting. And again, we'll have week two of the playoffs next Friday and, uh, We'll see what happens there. There could be a few stories coming out of that uh, that area as well. Excellent. Well, Steve, thanks so much for sharing your interesting week. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate being on, Dave. Thanks again to Steve Overby for dropping by the show and giving us the inside scoop on his interesting week. Up next, Paul Kopsky is going to run down all the scores and highlight performances here right after this break. 
now Paul Kopsky with the scoreboard and highlight performances. All right, thanks, Dave. The first round of district tournament play, and CBC rolls past Marquette 63-28. to CBC quarterback Patrick Heitert passed for 366 yards and five touchdowns for head coach Scott Pingle. I think we definitely came out firing on all cylinders on offense. I thought we were trying to play a little bit with the tempo and rhythm, and, uh, you know, Pat Heitert was making some good choices, and we got a lot of people involved. And, you know, they really couldn't key on one person, so... I thought the idea of kind of uh, distributing the ball around was our, our success tonight. Elsewhere, it was DeSmet hammering Francis Howell Central 55 to nothing. Fox over Vianney 42 to nothing. Brock Inman 176 yards rushing, three touchdowns. Lafayette defeated Northwest Cedar Hill 37 to 19. Blake Mysick, another big day passing for Lafayette 286 yards, four touchdowns. Lindbergh defeated Eureka 21-14. Logan Kopp rushed for 157 yards and scored three touchdowns, including an interception return. It was Francis Howell defeating Timberland 56-21. Alex Pipes passed for 203 yards and three touchdowns. Holt rolls over Fort Zumwalt West 48-14. Kyle Wubling with 184 yards rushing and four touchdowns. Borgia, a big winner over Winfield 44-6. Jefferson blanks St. Pius X, 33 to nothing. Dylan Schnitzler, three touchdowns, including an interception return. Parkway Central knocks off Liberty, 10 to 2. It was Ledoux shutting out Westminster, 28 to nothing. St. Mary's defeated Fredericktown handily, 44 to 8. It was Cardinal Ritter rolling past Owensville, 57 to 8. Rockbridge over Troy, 31 to 20. Poplar Bluff defeated Melville, 35 to 10. Farmington, 42. Oakville, 6. Fort Zumwalt East beat Francis Howell North, 51 to 34. Pacific, 50. Windsor, 34. Union shuts out Clayton, 42 to nothing. Sullivan, also a shutout winner, 18 to nothing over Afton. Trinity blanked St. Charles West, 57 to nothing. It was St. Dominic shutting out St. Charles, 48 to nothing. St. Clair, another shutout winner. 49 to nothing over St. James. Wright City downed Orchard Farm 26 to 12. Cuba 55, Grandview nothing. El Dorado Springs 52, Cleveland 29. Thayer ends Crystal City's season 46 to 6. And Kirksville beat Warrington 56 to 20. And Dave, that's a look at the stlhighschoolsports.com scoreboard. Thanks so much to Paul Kopsky for dropping by and giving us all the scores and highlight performances on the first week of postseason football. Up next, we're going to catch up with our intrepid reporters who are out at games. First up, Greg Upton is going to break down the Holt Fort Zumwalt West game. Ben Vessa went to deepest, darkest Jefferson County to watch Jefferson and St. Pius play. And then we're going to wrap up the show with Joe Harris giving us his insights into Lindbergh's big win over Eureka on Friday night. You can read all these intrepid reporters' work at stlhighschoolsports.com and in your Saturday St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm now joined by Greg Upton, who was out at the big Fort Zumwalt West and uh, Holt ball game. What was shaking out there in St. Charles County today, Greg? Well, it uh, was a team in in Fort Zumwalt West that went to the Class 6 semifinals last season, but of course they've uh, kind of struggled a little bit, uh, losing a lot from that team last year. Struggled to a three and six mark coming into the ball game, although they had, were on a three game winning streak after starting the season 0 and six. But taking on a, a very hot whole team as well, came in at seven and one, including one of those wins uh, over Ford Zuma West in the team's regular season meeting. And uh, it was more of the same in this one as Holt came away with the uh, 48 to 14 victory in the uh, 
most important thing for the Indians in their program. This was their first win in a district game since 2012. So they've been shooting blanks the last few years when they get to that first round of districts. Uh, had a couple of tough ones. Uh, they lost a, a shootout by four to battle a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, they fell in the, uh, the first one last year, Blue Spring South. They had a home game, was feeling good about themselves last year, and, and, and got beat pretty good in that game. So big win for them and a big win for their program to finally uh, kind of get that, uh, that old district monkey off their back a little bit there. And this is a whole group that's been building toward this. They're, they're big-time players. A lot of them are just juniors. So this is yeah. a huge step in the right direction for where they want to go as a program. I mean, not to take anything for granted this year, but that experience is invaluable. I'm sure Coach Place would agree. And, and they yeah. get to line up against a really good team <laughs> next week and test themselves again, another yeah. GAC power. God, it's another one where they can try and erase a, a, a trend that's going in the wrong direction for them because they've lost eight in a row to Francis Howell dating back to 2008, including 56 to 28 just four weeks ago in week number six. So they can, uh, you know, undo another one next week if they can, uh, you know, pull out a win in that one. But they, that game, unlike the first meeting, that, that game will be at Francis Howell. So. Um, I know that the, the, the couple of guys I talked to and everybody where they were looking forward to getting another shot at the Vikings, they didn't feel like they gave them their best game last time. They had some uh, silly mistakes, silly turnovers that kind of, you know, shot them in the foot a little bit in that ball game. So I think they're looking to um, hopefully for them come out and make a, a better statement in this game and, and, and kind of show what they're actually uh, made of. So, I mean, how won't be as rocking as it normally would with the restrictions right. that are in place because that's a, that's a joint that would be packed to the gills <laughs> with, with mm-hmm. how fanatics. So who was really doing some big things tonight for, for the Indians? I know quarterback Cooper Brown has been on a tear this season. Yeah, so it really was all those juniors you talked about. When you look at those skill guys, you, you start with Cooper Brown uh, under center and, and Kyle Webling in the backfield and then a couple of gifted receivers and Colin Bunner and Jackson Smith and really all those guys made some contributions tonight. Cooper Brown uh, slinging the ball around pretty good tonight. There was one drive where uh, you know he was perfect on the drive and ended up with a touchdown. That was actually to Jackson Smith who made a beautiful fingertip catch and then a dive for the goal line. Uh, on that play back in the uh, second quarter to you know kind of get the offense going a little bit there Colin Bunner didn't do as much offensively but he had a big pick six a 60 yarder tonight on defense he does a little bit of everything on both sides of the ball but really in the end it was Kyle Webling who was the man who stepped up tonight um, you know like our uh, our colleague Joe Harris likes to say I did the math and unofficially I had him for uh, uh, a cool 188 yards tonight and, and he also scored four touchdowns which was a career high for him <clears throat> the yardage is not a career high he did go for over 200 last year in a game against Timberland but but the four scores are, are a career high and you know, even if the yards are off a few, he was close to that 200-yard mark tonight. He, he really did a, a phenomenal job for them uh, toting the ball. and was only on 19 carries, so, you know, that's going to end up being a pretty good average. And, in fact, in the third quarter, he had 113 yards on four carries. So, and I did the math on that. That's 28 and a, and a quarter yards on, on that one. So, he had a, he had a real good ball game tonight uh, running the ball, and that really was the big difference for the whole offense and big key for the whole offense tonight. I had no idea this job entailed so much math. If I did, right? I never would have done it. 
I know. Me neither. Yeah, that's yeah. That that mantra, that uh, you know, I, I joke with him every time I talk to him. But it, it, it's true. Yeah, we, we do have to. We do deal with a, not, a lot of numbers when you think about it. When you think about all the stats. So yep, uh, just so, have to put the old uh, old uh, adding and subtracting, mostly adding uh, hat on, and, and that's what I was able to do there. <laughs> so you had touched on it earlier, but that that, that was a Fort Zumwalt West team that was coming off a Class Six semifinal appearance, did turn yeah. over a lot of its roster, and and had a really tough start. But their schedule was, I mean, right. for teams that played nine games, they had a pretty good schedule. They opened with Jackson, who's still mm-hmm. undefeated and and cruising in Class Five, was a state runner up yep. last year. They they played a Lutheran St. Charles team that is loaded with talent and kind of on the verge of breaking through. They're in class two. They had a bye this yep. week as the top seed. And then they played yeah. a, on the road at Hannibal, which on, on the best of times is a tough place to play. Right. But Hannibal this year is really good. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that, that Zumwalt West will lick its wounds and be better for this. I mean, that's a group who's going to be back sooner than later, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you look at... Uh you look at their their guys in in the skill positions, and you know the, the guy under center, Mike Ludwig, only a sophomore, the guy who did all, almost all the running tonight till he went out with a leg injury pretty late in the game. Kyle Nunn, sophomore, the guy they brought in to replace him, who did a fabulous job in his little bit of time. Darius Jones, freshman. So I mean, you're looking at a, a team that yeah will get that experience, and you know maybe be you know where Holt is, you know in a year or two. Um, and back up on top, and you know Ben Pike does a good job there. He's only in the second year, but he's done a great job uh, with that program. And yeah, it's a program that'll that'll be back on the rise. And 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 uh, like you said, they played a tough schedule. They had a you know a three game winning streak, so they were they were a little bit hot coming into the game, but you know ran into a good team with Holt. But um, you know better days will be ahead uh, for a lot of these guys um, for the Zoom Wall West Jaguars. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Greg. We appreciate your popping by. We'll catch you next week. All right. No problem. Thank you, sir. I'm now joined by Ben Vessa, who was down in Jefferson County, checking out the Jefferson and uh, St. Pius game tonight. Ben, what was shaking down past Festus? Yeah, you know, uh, two teams, an I-55 conference about four miles apart, meeting the uh, the first round of the playoffs. They didn't get to play each other this year uh, because Jefferson was uh, in quarantine at the time. So, uh, so uh, you know, the first meeting of the year between the two teams, St. Pius had knocked uh, Jefferson out of the playoffs last year. So a little revenge factor. And uh, it, it started off pretty good for Jefferson. Um, opening kickoff of... Uh, they, they, they kick it off to St. Pius. St. Pius fumbles it. Uh, Jefferson gets the ball right away, goes in for a quick touchdown, uh, and then get a pick six uh, a, a few minutes later. It went up 14 nothing and just kept the momentum pretty much the whole game uh, and won 33 nothing uh, against, uh, against St. Pius. Held St. Pius to just four first downs and 86 uh, total yards for the game. Uh, and the, the player of the game... Dylan Schnitzler, a running back, uh, gained 116 yards on 21 carries, uh, scored the first touchdown uh, on just a – it was a 27-yard drive after that fumbled kickoff. Um, He took the pitch, a really tough pitch to catch. Uh, um, Came to his helmet, he bobbled it for a second and then plowed into the end zone uh, for a four-yard 
touchdown. He told me after the game that it was uh, that he had fumbled the week before, mm. and uh, and when that pitch was coming up to his his helmet, uh, you know, he had to make sure he secured it first before he got in the end zone. Um, and then he also had the interception return um, uh, about three minutes to go, still in the first quarter. Uh, guy had a step on him, uh, but the ball was a little underthrown. Uh, he jumped up, caught it, and raced down the sideline and got into the end zone. Made it fourteen nothing there. Uh, that's it. Went to the, he had he had another interception on a half back pass that St. Pius tried to to throw toward the end of the half um, to stop that drive. So it was fourteen nothing at the half. Um, St. Pius got a little momentum in the second half, an interception on the first play of the, of the second half. And then, um, and then they ended up having to punt, but they punted and pinned, uh, Jefferson down to the one yard line. Uh, but 99 yard drive, uh, 14 plays took up most of the quarter wow. and, uh, and, Sch- uh, Schnitzler, uh, finished it off with a 21 uh, yard run, uh, to, uh, to kind of take the, the sales out of uh, out of St. Pius at that point, it was twenty one nothing. They'd add two more late touchdowns uh, to make it thirty three nothing. So, what was it like for Jefferson after the game, man? They must have been pretty excited to to end Pius's season a year after Pius ended theirs. Yeah, they were they were they were fired up. You know, they um, Coach Alex Rugley uh, told me that they only practiced outside one time uh, this week. You know, they they had the the, the illness uh, situation, um, it, cold weather, wet rip weather, weather. They just stayed inside, watched film, and uh, worked in the gym. And uh, he said they just wanted to make sure they knew where their keys were and everything like that. But they barely went outside this week, and uh, they were geared up for it for sure. Uh, their their quarterback, uh, his name is Drew Brees, by the way. Great name. Uh, yeah, big fan of the. Uh, the New Orleans Saints quarterback. He wears number nine, actually, uh, for Jefferson. Uh, says sometimes, uh, you know, opponents will will uh, joke and ask him for his autograph after games and things <laughs> like that. But uh, uh, he had a nice that ninety-nine yard drive. He really was uh, was excellent. Uh, uh, he, he completed four passes on the drive and, and kept churning up first downs. Uh, he was really excited. You know, he he told me. You know they were they were kicking off. You know he was he was putting his helmet down, just waiting for St. Pius to to get the ball there to start the game, and then all of a sudden, boom, fumble! It's time to get get your act together. You know oh, we're on offense, and uh, and he did a really nice job of kind of orchestrating that first drive and getting them in the end zone to take advantage of that uh, that fumble right off the bat. So uh, so he was excited, uh, and uh, I talked to defender Colton Richardson also. Uh, had a big game for them said they were just juiced up for this game they you know the the revenge factor was on their mind uh, and uh yeah they were they were pretty excited about it i don't know how coach alex rug i don't know what you work on like that's about as complete a performance as you can have uh, in terms of time of possession uh and, and total kind of domination offensively and defensively and in special teams they they had four turnovers they caused uh, they blocked a punt I mean, there's, you turn that film on and everybody has a smile on their face. Well, thanks for dropping by, Ben. We appreciate the help. Catch you next week. All right. Thanks, Dave.
I'm now joined by Joe Harris, who is in South County checking out the Eureka Lindbergh game. The Flyers entering this game had hadn't had a win against Eureka in a while. What was going on in Sappington, Missouri, Joe? Well, I mean, for the first two quarters, it looked like they weren't going to have another win against Eureka. Uh, the the Wildcats carried play in the first half, uh, and then Logan Cop happened. Uh, you know, he big does players, that. Big players, and he took over for Lindbergh in the second half, and Lindbergh scores 21 unanswered points, comes away with a 21-14 win, and snatched a 13-game losing streak against Eureka, dating back almost 10 years. 13? 13 straight losses. That's a yeah. big number. Yeah, the last win they had against Eureka was November 5th, 2010. And that's the year they lost to DeSmet in the quarterfinals. I remember that. That was a really good Eureka team. They escaped. Yeah. So that was a, a – I mean, a lot of teams can treat that either way. They can either try to ignore it or they can embrace it. Lindbergh embraced it. Mm. All week long, that was the – the cry. Let's end this streak. Let's end it. And this is a Eureka team that beat them 21-7 a few weeks ago. And Eureka's so, only home game. That's right. Right, right. So, uh, basically, I thought the turning point in the game came in the, the last minute of the first half. Um, you know, Lindbergh had, by virtue of a great kickoff return by Logan Cop and a 15-yard run by Logan Cop, managed to you know, finally get a drive going in the first half, and they got the ball down to the Eureka 25 with less than a minute to go. Instead of going for a very long field goal, uh, Coach Norman uh, decided to go for it on fourth down. Fourth down pass, the end zone falls incomplete. Then Eureka, not content to run out the clock with a 7 nothing lead, marches down the field and scores on a 49-yard touchdown pass with 12 seconds, 14 seconds left in the, the half. Uh, so you're thinking, okay, that's a double-digit swing in the last minute of the game or last minute of a half. You're going to have all the momentum. You know, here we go again for Lindbergh. 40 seconds into the third quarter, Logan Kopp with a 30-yard interception return for the touchdown for Lindbergh, and it was all flyers from there. And Lindbergh scores in their next drive. The, the defense was energized. They get a three and out on the next uh Possession for Eureka. Lindbergh gets the ball in the 33. They drive 67 yards, and it was top 19 yards, 8 yards, 11 yards, and then he finished off with a 7-yard run. And all of a sudden, you're tied, 14-14. Um, you know, then Lindbergh, with a very impressive drive in the fourth quarter, he's up almost half the game clock in the quarter, 74 yards. And you know that Lindbergh offense, underneath the Norman, it's a run, run, run. It's old-time smash-mouth football. So when they get it going, the clock just melts off, you know, melts away. Mm-hmm. That's what happened in the fourth quarter. And, of course, it was top fittingly, 19-yard run to cap the drive, 21-14 Lindbergh, and there was like three minutes left after that. Eureka tries to mount a drive. Aiden Clancy comes up with a big interception on fourth down, and the Flyers run out the clock from there. So what did you have cop for? Greg was on earlier, and he had mentioned that uh, you do the math on these things. What did you have for Mr. Cop tonight? Unofficially, 33 carries for 157 yards. And all three touchdowns. 
and all three touchdowns. Man. 100 of those yards coming after the, the break. Uh, and it could have been even more. Cobb had 165 yards on 32 carries, but his last carry, and this is how selfless he is and how smart he is. I'm sure it was a design play. Uh, they had a fourth down with three seconds to go. They handed the cop, and to make sure he ran out the clock, he took an eight-yard loss and slid down. <laughs> so Eureka had no chance to even run a, a, a prayer or Hail Mary or anything. So it knocked his yard, total yardage down from 165 to 157. But he's a guy who was, I'm sure, quite content just to still be playing. No, there's without a doubt, he didn't care about numbers or anything. He, he cares about next week and, and facing the flu, uh, Junior Billy. So that's interesting because Lindbergh will get to host St. Louis U High, who this afternoon was a forfeit victor over Kirkwood who was unable to compete in its district quarterfinal due to COVID-19-related reasons. What was everybody talking about at Lindbergh? Were they all excited about getting a host? Actually, they were just, well, one, the people that I've talked to about it, they were shocked, obviously. Um, you know, and it's just one of those things with this year. You never know. And unfortunately, Kirkwood's not the only team that's had their season end like this. Uh, but in reality, Lindbergh was just focused on Eureka tonight. They weren't worried about next week. They were more focused on uh, getting past the one at ending the 10 year streak. And I, you know, I heard several people, especially coaches in the post game, you know, while the players in the post game huddle, they've got 24 hours, 24 hours to soak this up. And then it's going to be on to this clip. Well, I, I think Logan Cop's got 24 hours to take as many ice baths as he can muster. I mean, he's, he's, a, North, <laughs> he, he's a North Dakota State recruit. We profiled him in the Super 30. Uh, just, just an, like you said, an all-around standout for everything he can do, including in the classroom. Coach Nathan Norman was at Cape Central for a long time and had some really good teams. He came to Lindbergh a couple of years ago, and this is, I think, his fourth season with the program. And he, he said in the preseason, it's really scary because all the eggs are in Logan Cop's basket because he does so much. And and should something unfortunate happen, it's devastating. But as he showed tonight, if, if he's doing the things he's capable of with his teammates helping him, I mean, Lindbergh can, can, can be in every game, I'd imagine. Yeah, I, I've seen very few players this year, and granted, Mike, you know, what I've seen is very limited in the few games I've been able to see. But uh, he has just had he was just had shoulders tonight, and it was fun to watch him and fun to get to watch him. And you know, he will definitely make an impact on North Dakota State. I mean, you know, he's he's a very smart player, and and Coach Norman even uh, you know said you know he's so smart, and you can see it on the interception. He read the play, he knew where it was going, and. He had three steps on the nearest, you know, uh, Eureka Wildcat. He was gone. Once he made that catch, he was gone. And that was, that's football IQ, that's classroom IQ, that's studying your, your opponents. Um, that's just not – and he's been given, you know, the natural talent. But it's fun to see an athlete put it all together, mind and physical. He's pretty good. Were you able to catch up with Eureka people at all? Coach Jake Sumner? 
I talked to Coach Sumner, you know, very briefly. It's always hard when you win the season. Sure. Uh, you know, he just felt really bad for his seniors. He was proud of his team. Uh, like every other team, they've gone through so much this season. And, uh, you know, he just uh, he felt really bad for his seniors the way it ended. And, you know, I, he didn't have really much else to say. He tipped his cat, cap to Logan Cop. What else can you do? And, uh, you know, I, I asked him about Logan. And it was just a great player making great plays when his team needed it the most. Excellent. Well, I have you, Joe. I, I need to pester you briefly about the epic volleyball match you saw the other night between Lafayette and Borgia, a two-hour-plus marathon, nail-biter all the way. What was it like in the gym? Well, it was a it was a state championship match, atmosphere and play, and it's a shame that it happened in the district championship game. Um, I, I understand geographically why Misha – put these teams in the same district. And I'm not going to try to to hate on Misha. You know, there's enough people that want to do that, but it's just a shame Um, because both these teams are just so good, so well coached, so talented. And, you know, this could have been a state. These are, you know, uh, Borgia was a defending class three state champion. Lynn, I'm Hans Lindbergh. Lafayette (laughs) was in the class championship last year and they both played like it and you know it could have it could have been a state title match now i'm sure saint dominic and francis howell on the other side of the bracket would you know i'm sure they're going to have something to say and actually saint dominic had beaten borgia twice this year mm-hmm. um and i you know selfishly that would be a, a fun final to cover next friday but you know, it was just you hate it's, it's it's the old cliche. You hate to see one team lose, and Borgia came out rolling. They could do no wrong in the first two sets, but you always expected a, a Zach Young team to not go down quietly, and they didn't. And they put it together, and they forced that fifth set. And that fifth set could have gone either way. Both teams had ma- both teams had match point. It went extra in the fifth set, eighteen sixteen, and you know, neither team showed any fear. They were going for aggressive shots the whole way. A lot of times in that fifth set, you'll see teams, you know, pucker up, so to speak, and start tipping the ball or, you know, playing it safe. No, these teams stayed true to who they are. And it was just so much fun to watch and a pleasure to cover. It was one of those things where, you know, this is why we, why we do what we do. And, uh, you know, good luck to Borgia on Saturday. Good luck to all the teams on Saturday. Tomorrow, actually. Uh, I'll be at Summit uh, for the Class 4 sectional tournament, and uh, we're going to have coverage all over the place. Steve Overby is going to uh, be back at Borgia to cover the Knights as they take on, uh, uh, they're going to open against Jackson. The other sectional will be uh, Coriezu and Oakville. And then we're going to have uh, Greg Upton, uh, who you mentioned before. He's going to be at Howell tomorrow uh, for the other Class 4, or Class 5, excuse me, sectional tournament. So, um, you know, the big stakes tomorrow, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's always one of my favorites uh, as the volleyball beat guy. It's always one of my favorite days of the year. Well said, Joe. So thank you so much for joining the show, brother. We'll catch you next week. Be safe out there. Yeah, next week I will be at state uh, volleyball. So I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be talking some state championships, I guess. I look forward to it. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. 
That'll do it for this week's edition of the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. A big shout-out to Lutheran North football coach Carl Reed for joining the show this week. As always, we appreciate the contributions from Steve Overby, Paul Kopsky, Greg Upton, Ben Vessa, and Joe Harris. Thank you guys again for all your hard work. We'll catch you next week. Until then, stay safe and stay warm, everybody. (laughs) 